Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. Good morning, good morning, good morning, everybody. Everyone well this morning? If you're online, grab your mask, put it on, let us know that you're with us, you know. Uh, stand in, in, in the pain that we have to stand in. Like, stand with us. Uh, keep that mask close by. You never know who's going to breathe on you, but it's uh, so wonderful to be with you. We're in our new series of uh, Redefined, and Sai, you did such a great job last week of uh, Friends with Benefits, hey? Um, I could see it was tough, eh? It was tough for some people to hear this thing with friends with benefits, but you pulled it off really well. You also taught us that if I want to be Lindy's friend, I have to be your friend. And if anybody wants to be your friend from the opposite gender, they have to be, you know, so that's wonderful uh, around that. And so I'm really excited about this refriending or redefining uh, series that we're in. Uh, Just in case... Uh, I say something that is inappropriate. We've got a warning up there. When I first put the sermon together, I didn't realize I needed the 17 plus. But as the sermon went on, I realized I'm grateful for the 17 plus uh, PG rating we have on the service. So just uh, uh, it allows me a little bit of uh, latitude, I think, uh, this morning. Uh, and so this morning, we are talking about the friend zone or the friend, have you been friend zone? So I overheard uh, uh, Stuart and uh, uh, who was doing the online um, Massey this morning saying, have you been friend zoned? And uh, it was, uh, they made a confession online that they had. But I want to ask the auditorium and I want to ask you online, get those fingers ready if you're, not, if you're sitting by yourself. When you see this word, friend zone, tell your friend that you came with or that you're with close by, what does it mean for you? What does friend zone mean? It's bad. It's bad. Okay. Navelia says it's bad. That was quick. Uh, bad news. All right. Anybody else in the auditorium want to shout out? What does friend zone mean for you? Anybody? Going once? I, I, right? No prospect of relationship. That's a disaster. Yes. You stand no chance. Yo, 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 yo. I'm so glad that I have never been friend zoned, ever. Never, never. Never understood this idea of standing no chance. Eh? I never went close to that. So I asked a primary school learner, what does friend zoned mean? And the response was amazing. Was, was my friends in my zone. That's what my friend zone is. And so for me, we want to refi- redefine what friend zone means. It's not this uh, particular aggressive metaphor that where people end up when they are not interested and, and only want like this friendship kind of thing, right? At the root of friend zone, it is telling us that being a friend is less than. To be in a friend doesn't have the same kind of space in society that we have. And so we want to rechange how we understand what it means to be a friend, to be in that friend zone, right? We want to redefine it uh, this morning because we've used friendship as a stepping stone to get to places. And so sometimes in our relationships, we use a stepping stone of friendship to get into that romantic relationship. And that is the only reason why I'm being your friend at this moment, because I have an agenda. Um, I'm your friend so that I can get to know this person because I really want to get to know that person. It's a social networking that we're into, right? Uh, See? Strategic friendships, right? We get into those things. Or 
We talk about friendship in this, and I'm guilty of this, of saying social capital. I'm going to build my social capital. And then I need to have a conversation with somebody. I will use my social capital that I've gained to have a horrible conversation with somebody. And so we've started to distort what we understand by friendship. And so we want to redefine what the friendship zone means for me, what it means for you, and what it means for all our relationships that we're in. And so friendship is valuable, but more than that, it is powerful. And last week when Sai was preaching about friends with benefit, what a great example of a friendship between David and Joshua. Well, not Joshua, Jonathan. Right? That that friendship was a powerful friendship. It was a platonic friendship. It was a friendship that was even beyond the romances of David's thousands and hundreds or three wives, whatever he had. It was something powerful about that relationship. I am grateful for the relationships and friendships that I have in my life because my friends speak truth to me, even when it's difficult. And I speak truth to my friends, even when it's difficult. And so when Tamsin was uh, diagnosed with a brain tumor a couple of years ago, um, I, I lack in empathy. I lack in this area of my life. Like if, you, if I can't see it bleeding, like I struggle to connect with that. So Tamsin's having a brain scan. I'm at Motherland Coffee having a friendly conversation with my friend. And my friend says to me, what are you doing here? You're supposed to take off work. You, and he reframed it for me. And I'm grateful for those friends that have those difficult conversations with me. But I'm also grateful that I can be the friend of people that are going through difficulties. And so I have a number of friends that have been through divorces. Now, whether they're right or wrong, I have those conversations. But I also am a friend to them. Because in those moments, when they know that everybody else has turned against them, I have to be that friend that sticks closer than a brother. And so there's no wonder that these friendship apps like... Uh, Bumblebee, BFF, and Friender are beginning to see an insurge where people are desperately looking for friends. As adults, we don't know how to make friends anymore. And so there's lots of articles that go out there, how to make friends as an adult. And many of us are sitting here are feeling really lonely, feeling like we are unconnected in some ways. Isn't this an amazing stat? That the loneliness has the same effect as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That is an amazing stat, just to think about that. Uh, people that are lonely have heart disease, uh, immune dis dysfunctions. They, they feel physically ill. And so being lonely and not having friends is not just an emotional experience, it's a physical experience. And so God has created us in His image. Therefore, He has created us as relational beings. Think about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're not individually alone. They are together. They speak with one another. When Jesus was on the planet, he had a conversation with his father. He was led with the spirit. And because they, we are created in his image, we are created for relationships. We are created for relationships on a whole bunch of levels. I want to go back to this, we're created for relationships, is that just like uh, you craving food, you had food this morning. If you haven't had food, your stomach is busy grumbling. You say, I need food. In the same way, you need food you need relationships. In the same way, you might be feeling thirsty right now and the people online are busy drinking their coffee and saying, ha ha, we can drink now, you can't. But in the same way that we need that kind of drinking, we need relationships. And in the same way we need Wi-Fi nowadays, we need relationships. We were created for relationships. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what did he say? He said it was good. 
And then he created this, he separated the sea and the land and all of that stuff. And he said, it is good. And then God created all the wonderful vegetables and fruits and all the vegetarians and, and uh, vegans in the room said, it is good, right? And then God created all the little creepy crawlies in the ocean and there are prawns and there are lobsters and there's hake and all those kind of things. And all the pescatarians said, it is good when God created those things. And then God created a great chicken and a lamb and beef and all the rest of us said, it is good. Right? So can you see how God created all these things and it's good, right? But on the sixth day, God said something different. He said, let us make man in our image. And he made them male and female and he created them. And he blessed them and he said, be fruitful and multiply. And when God had seen everything he made, he said, it is very good. So when God created you and when God created me, he looks at you and he doesn't say you are good. He says you are very good good. But the amazing thing is just as, like, you know, sometimes you say something and it's barely off your lips. You change your mind. So God had just said, it is good. And what does he say? It is not good. In Genesis 2.18, when he looked at Adam and he realized Adam was smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Adam was lonely. And God said, it is not good for man to be alone. And he created Eve. And so God created us to be in relationships. He created us to connect. We long and yearn for it. We dine for it in many ways. Just think about Facebook. When you put that thing there, you don't, you're not interested in what you, you're interested in the likes and the things. And why? Is it because it's this relationship that we all long for. We are all created to have a best friend. I hope where you're sitting now, you have a best friend. And if you don't have one, go and find one. Let's find a best friend for you. If you don't have a best friend, we can try to find one for you in the room. We'll make a plan for you. But we were created to have a best friend. We were created to be in community. And so why did people stop on the other side of Jan Smuts, get out of their car, and walk and give their discovery miles some points this morning, right? They started the week really, really well. Why do they do that? Because we long for community. Because when we walk through those doors, we have a sense of community, right? Our connect groups are that sense of community. And that sense of community allows us to grow and become whatever we can become. We were created to have business partnerships that are prosperous, business partnerships that are innovative, business partnerships that change the world. We were created for that. We were created to have colleagues and classmates that we can learn together, that we can trust and go on these incredible learning journeys and adventures. We were created for those moments. We were created for marriage. Marriages that are marked with honor, respect, love, and fun. Those are marriages that we were designed to be part of. We were married. Well, we were married for friendship. Yes, we were. We can talk about that next week, in fact, right? And so we were created for relationship. You were created for relationship. But the friendship zone redefined means that there's a sense of belonging. It's not that downgraded a, a thing that we want to talk about. We want to redefine what it means. But to redefine friendship, it means that we, we need to build puzzles. Now, I, I must be honest, I've never graduated beyond these four, four puzzle pieces. See, this, is my, this, is my, this is where I stop building puzzles at home, right? The reality is, when we think about puzzle building and relationships, uh, relationships are far more like this kind of puzzle. 
These are the real relationships. We graduated from that. And so every relationship you have, whether it's your best friend, the person you're married to, or your colleague you're working with, it is this. And so what we do is we take these things and our relationships, when we work on them, we're trying to fit them together. And sometimes you get to a point where as much as you tried, and if you've tried, I know like you, when you're competitive, you, you, you don't want to like be outshone that you've chosen the wrong piece, right? So now you try and force this piece in there and somehow it's not fitting there. And I think sometimes when we think about our relationships, we are trying to force those relationships into places and they are not working. And in Samuel 25, verses 2 and 3, he has a great example of a relationship was mixed-matched. Like they couldn't fit together. Now, there was a man in Mon whose business was in Carmel. He was a very rich man. He had 3,000 sheep, 1,000 goats. He was shearing sheep in Carmel. The name of the man was Nabal. And his, wife, and his name of his wife was Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful in appearance. But the man was harsh and evil in his doing. And he was, in the house, uh, he was from the house of Cable. And so Nabal is his name. Now, the references that I read up doesn't tell me whether this was his birth name or a nickname he was given. But it's an indication of the kind of man he was. Because you were given names and then you lived them out. And so the name of Nabal means fool. And say so he was a fool. So with all his riches, he was still a fool. Or he just lived like a fool. And people just gave him this name, that Nabal, the foolish rich man that we know, right? So I don't know if you know a man like that. Last year, there were, I think, 497 billionaires in 2021. In 2020, in the midst of the crisis that we had, 497 odd new billionaires. That's a, a billionaire. I'm saying billionaire, not million, billionaire, every 17 hours uh, in 2021, right? Uh, and Nabal probably would have been one of these pictures up there if he was in that kind of place. So he was a very wealthy man. But with all his wealth, he didn't feel the need to engage in relationships. I don't know if you know those people, right? With lots of wealth, with all that wealth, they don't feel the need to be friendly to people, to engage with people. And so with his wealth, he didn't think it was important for him to engage with people. Um, and so there are four kinds of different wealths or riches that you have. There's the riches in what you have. Nabal had plenty of that. Riches in what you do. Riches in who you know. And riches in who you are, your character. Um, I wonder if we were ever to have a, a list, you know, like we have the richest people in the world. I wonder if we should have riches like this of the list of different people. What were the images that we would see on that? I know my grandfather wouldn't make the first one, but I think my grandfather would make at least the top ten of the last one in terms of his character, the incredible person he was. So Nabal didn't have all those riches. He only had the first one. He was harsh in his dealings with people, in evil in some ways. I remember uh, being invited to a CEO's office um, of a big corporate in South Africa. And so as I'm walking to meet the CEO, uh, he's, I don't know if it's his PA, his armor bearer, I don't know what the person was, but the person whispered to me, he said, when you walk into this office, look him in the eyes, give him a firm handshake, otherwise he's not going to listen to you. And I was like, yo, what kind of person am I going to meet? Tell me this like a minute before I walk in there. And it was a disaster of a meeting because the man had so much like, I don't think he was evil, but he was harsh in the way he engaged with society. And so we all know people like that. Neither did he give or receive encouragements. 
And so in, in Samuel 25, 6, David's men approach Nabal. And they approach him. And when they approach him, they say, uh, all love to you, peace, grace. They, they shower him with like affirmations. Um, when he responds, he doesn't thank them for their, like, I receive those wonderful blessings, nor does he give response back to them. He just goes into his own little monologue, which we'll talk about in a moment. And so some of us, we don't receive blessings, nor do we give those things. We'll say to people, you are blessed, oh, and no walk on, right? So this is the kind of person that Nabal is. He forgot that other people were blessings to him. And so David's men are telling Nabal that during winter, we, we looked after your men. We made sure that your goats and your sheep weren't attacked. And, and so that's what we did. He doesn't acknowledge it. He doesn't thank them for it. He just completely ignores it. And later on, you'll see that he, he, he talks about everything that is his and doesn't make any no, notion of other people. Nabal also belittled people, forgot people's names, and didn't engage around this stuff. And so when, when they say, our, our, serve, our master David has sent us to you to ask for something, he says, who is David? Um, there are lots of servants that have been scattered all over the place. This could be anybody. Now, if you lived in those days and there was Twitter, David would have been hashtagging, trending around that kind of time, right? He would have been, uh, David slayed the giant, right? That's what he's thinking. And uh, if you were following the news of the day, uh, David's name would have been on your lips because Saul was chasing David and you knew that David was going to become the next king. And here's Nabal saying, who's David? Again, just a direct, like, I don't need to know this kind of thing. And the final thing is that he had no reason to help others. And so he talks about, like, this is my sheep, this is my bread, this is my... And so he was all about building his kingdom. It's the kind of guy you want to hang out this afternoon with, right? I'm sure you want to go and hang out with a Nabal this afternoon. So the question is, there's an Abigail, a woman of great understanding and beautiful in her appearance. Interestingly enough, that there are only two other women in the whole of Scripture that talk about their beautiful appearance. And it's... Uh, Rachel and Esther, the, and Lindy, and Lindy. Let me just check. I think it's towards the end of the book it says Lindy, and it's in Simon's Bible that it says Lindy. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a handwritten note in Simon's Bible that says and Lindy uh, around that, right? So, so she's beautiful, but not only is she beautiful, it says that she's in good understanding. So she has a good head, heart, and hands. So when she's engaging with David's men, she understands how to engage with him. She has a heart for her family and her servants because of the situation they found themselves in. And so she was incredible like this. So how does a woman like this, with great understanding, good heart, tender, loves the Lord probably, end up with a guy like Nabal, right? Like what is happening? Now, one thing that could explain it is that there's an arranged marriage, and that's why she's with him. And we could understand that. But I want to almost guarantee today in the auditorium and online, wherever you, whichever camera you're on right now, you are in a relationship with a Nabal. And it's not because it's an arranged marriage. You chose this relationship. And you are there. And it's so difficult. So who is your Nabal? Is it the best friend that stabs you in the back? Is your Nabal those communities that you've got to watch your back before you say anything? Is it a business partner that is toxic and it's horrible? Is your Nabal a colleague or a schoolmate that, uh, that you can't trust, you can't share any ideas, and if you share your innovative idea, they'll take it and make it their own? Are you in a marriage where there's this, it's marked by fear, dishonesty, suspicion, and distrust, and no fun? I don't know what your Nabal is, 
But each of us might be in a relationship with an Abel. And how you got there, you need to begin to figure out how you either redeem that, refine it, or you need to step away from that relationship. And so choosing relationships, whether it's your best friend, your relationship, that's the first part of the thing. The next thing is, is that once you're in a relationship, it's, uh, it's maintaining the challenges of that relationship. Have you ever been in a relationship? They're not easy, right? They are tough, hard work. Um, and so I have six Lego pieces here. Um, if I were to put these Lego pieces together in different formats, how many different um, formats do you think I could get uh, with, this piece, with six pieces of Lego? How many different formats? 36, okay, yeah. 66, it sounds like a devil's number coming up now with people saying that next week we can say 666 with 36, 66. No, none of those, so don't be afraid. Um, in, 19, in 1974, the year of my birthday, uh, a mathematician uh, put these together and came up with a mathematician, probably was an actuary, um, that there are a million ways of putting these uh, pieces of puzzle together, right? Recently, they put this into an algorithm onto a computer and it came up with over 9 million different orientations of six Lego pieces of six or six little blocks, right? So this is a little Lego set. It's not that complicated, it's just six. And if there are nine million ways of connecting, just think how difficult it is and complex our relationships are with one another. And what God can do if you bring six people together, the amazing things that he can do with that. And so I, I've only got a couple of... <laughs> Only a couple of minutes, so we can't go through all nine million iterations of what relationships look like, right? So I'm going to go through a couple. So redefining our relationships is like building this relationship puzzle. Now, if I had to give, who loves building puzzles here? Who? Okay, TM, because you're like close. It, don't come up, just sit there. Um, but if I had to give you this and ask you to build this puzzle, would it be easy? No. Because you don't know what you're building. There's no image. There's nothing there to see, right? And I think many of us are in relationships where we have no idea what we're building. We are just randomly putting pieces together, and we have no idea where we're going. God has given us a manual around, and as we open it up, for every relationship you have, there is a picture for that relationship, whether it's a business partnership, a relationship, uh, any kind of thing. It's all in yarn. It gives us the picture that we need. And so three things. One, first things first. You have to start with the first thing. And so this was my birthday gift this week uh, 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 that I got for my, my, my birthday. And you get a manual with it. And so if I open it and I don't really like step one, in the building of this, and I want to go to page 17 because you know, it fits much nicer with who I am. Do you think I'm going to build this beautiful thing? I, it might come across, it'll be really ugly, but it won't be what it's the, the design was intended to be, right? And so we need to do the first thing first. The other thing is, when I follow this, if I miss the first step, I can carry on, but eventually the whole thing's going to fall apart. And I actually missed the first step, so I had to redo it. And I had to go and undo it. And so some of us have missed the first step in our relationship. We're going to have to undo certain things to go back to the first step. The first step 
is in Matthew 22, 37. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. That is the greatest commandment. And so whatever relationship you're in, it is God first. We need to put God at first in our relationships. Um, think about Adam and God walking in the garden early in the morning and that wonderful relationship that they have with one another. Do you think that if every single South African started their day or at least ended their day with that wonderful relationship of speaking to the Father, having close relationship with the Father, would we have gender-based violence at cases in our country? Would we have broken relationships? No, because we would be so connected to our Father that we would be living out those relationships. So our first relationship is with our Father. God is longing to speak to you about the relationships you're in, either the relationships you're about to enter or the relationships you're in. He is wanting to speak to you. And you know, we hear it. We hear that voice. We get that tug from the Holy Spirit saying, don't go here. But what do we do? We step into it, right? And so I don't think we have a hearing problem. I think we have a listening problem. Uh, remember when you turn the TV on, you're listening to the TV in the background, is making a noise, but you have no idea what's happening there. Sometimes I think our relationship with God is like that. We have his voice going on in the background, but we're not in tune with his Holy Spirit. We're not making the decisions we need to make in those relationships. We're not talking to the people we need to be talking to. And so we're making a whole bunch of problems around that. And so if you think about your relationship, what is your relationship with God like? Um, how well are you hearing God's voice? And how is God's relationship affecting your human relationships? Is there a reflection that I spend time with the Father and when I'm engaging with my kids, can they feel that? Or are they feeling something very different around that? Second thing, you've got to love yourself. Hey, you've got to love yourself. And if you don't love yourself, how are you going to love anybody else? A good friend of mine normally says it this way. He says, be who you be, man. I'm not going to say it alone. Say it to the person next to you. Be who you be, man. Get a little bit more like African and uh, one more time. And one, two, three, and you'll be, man. And that's what God wants you to be. Be yourself. Love yourself, right? And when we love ourselves, it becomes amazing. So Matthew 22, 3 says, second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as you love yourself. And often we spend a lot of time talking about loving our neighbors, but we have to look at how we love ourselves. And as you spend a lifetime calculating our worth on how other people see us, right? We worry about our parents, our, uh, what we accomplish in life, our achievements, our associations. We look at all those things, and based on how the world sees us is how we begin to respond to that. And so our parents, hey, we spend lots of time working on our parents, hey? Um, and some of you thought three times before you came to church today around what your appearance is. And so maybe a, a guiding principle around appearance is not so much what other people think, but what does God think? Am I honoring God in the way that I'm, I'm showing up this morning? Or am I dishonoring God in the way that I'm showing up and the way I'm dressed? And, and, and so as, as men, are we inappropriate in the way we're dressing? Right? Are we, are we, how are we engaging around that, right? Um, uh, we often talk about our accomplishments. And so when we do uh, interviews for a program I run, people talk about what they've done. And when I ask them, I'm not interested in what you've done, I'm interested in who you are, they get become frozen. Because lots of us have tied our self-image on who we are in what we do, not who we are. And so it's amazing. Uh, uh, um, uh, uh, there, was one, there was one thing I wanted to remember. So I went to a meeting, again, great meeting. Went well. Uh, I thought I landed the deal 
knocked the ball out the park. The guy walks me out into the parking lot. I went, chit, chit. And uh, the lights went on for my little Skoda Skoda, little Chevy there. The guy looks at me, looks at that, says, don't worry, don't call me, I'll call you. Never heard of them again, right? And maybe it wasn't good that I went into business with them. But so people put that kind of pressure on us. We shouldn't be deterred by that, right? Some of us treat ourselves so ugly. We do this activity in one of the sessions we run where we do an affirmation circle where people share like this positiveness with each other. And one day a woman was doing this activity. She started crying. We asked her for feedback and she said, this is the first time at work anybody's any said something positive with me without followed with the word but. So they say, you've done really great here, but. And this was the first time anybody said something nice without the word but. And so she says, before I come to work, I look at myself in the mirror and I berate myself. I break myself down so that when I get to work, anybody that says anything negative to me, I don't have to worry about because I'm already broken. And so some of us are like that woman. We're treating ourselves terribly and we need to change that. Because remember in Genesis 1, 31, when God made you and God made me, what did he say? It is very good. In Ephesians 2.10, he looks at you and he says, you are my masterpiece. And so we should meditate on God's word around what God's word says about us. The Old Testament, when, when they use the word meditate, it talks about grumbling or muttering to yourself. And so sometimes we shouldn't be muttering those negative things. We should be walking around, I'm God's masterpiece. God is pleased with me. We need to mutter those kind of things that are inside of us. And we need to, like a, uh, Michelle Obama says, we need to do a better job of putting ourselves higher on our to-do list, right? Um, I need to start the story. I realized the first service I needed, I, do not do this at home, what I'm about to share with you, right? So this is a preface, do not do this at home. My great-grandmother and great-grandfather, I had the privilege of meeting them. Now, old school, they used to, they were married. They had their own separate beds, like single beds in the same room. I think there might be some reason why they did that, right? Anyway, so they had their own single beds. One day, my great-grandfather beat my great-grandmother. So she waited for him to go to sleep. Once he sound asleep, she took some paraffin, poured it around the bed, then lit the paraffin, woke him up and said, you will never beat me ever again. She was teaching my great-grandfather a great lesson, right? Did he ever beat her again? Never, right? And so she was teaching him how to treat her. She was saying that you will never do that. And so we need to tell other people how to treat us. That when they talk badly to us, we need to have the courage to say, you can't talk to me like that. I am created in God's image. I am his masterpiece. You cannot deal with me that way. And for too long, we allow people, we show people how they should treat us. So don't go to my great-grandmother's uh, uh, steps, but allow people to understand how they should treat you. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, what are the obstacles you are facing in healthy love for yourself? And if you want, go to Psalm 139, 1 to 24. Incredible Psalm that just speaks about how God loves you and how he searches your heart. Finally, we need a vision and a purpose. Now, I'm not sure if I've shared this before, but my first job, the director of the organization pulled me to the office. I think I was 18, 19, something. He says, what is your vision and purpose for life? I was like, what are you talking about? He says, because if you don't have a vision and a purpose for your life, I will use you to fulfill my vision and purpose for your life. And so quickly, have a vi because if you don't have a vision and a purpose for your life, somebody else knows. 
and they will use you to accomplish that, right? And so Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, my people perish. But he who keeps the law, happy is he, right? But it's not only personal, person, it's not only about personal vision and purpose, but it's about relational vision and purpose. Rel- I, I, vision and purpose is the fuel to your relationship. If your relationship doesn't have a vision and a purpose, you're probably experiencing load shedding in that relationship. You are not sure where you're going. And if you don't get a vision and a purpose, that relationship is going to end up in a full-out blackout. Think about marriages that are completely focused on bringing up those children. The moment those children leave home, those marriages fall apart. Why? Because they lack a vision and a purpose. I'm not saying it's not a problem to have your children at the center of your marriage, but once they leave, you better start working on a new vision and purpose for that relationship. Remember at school, uh, for those people that were at school a long time ago, your best friend at school that you would die for, and then by the time you're 25, you don't even know where they live and their name anymore, right? Why do those relationships not last? Because when you were at school, you had a vision and a purpose for relating. But when you left school, you never made a new vision and purpose. And so there's no reason for connecting around that. And so make sure you do that, right? Um, Show me your friends, and I will show you your future. If you look at your friends now, if you like your friends and where they're going, ha la la, your future's looking bright. But if you look at your friends, you're like, yo, I don't know about these people and where they're going, right? You are heading in that direction, right? Um, so these are my, this is my bromance. These are my bros. These are my bromance. Uh, Seth, Buchle, and myself. Uh, at the time of this photo, uh, this is where we were. We were newly married. Um, we all three had married women that were much beautiful than our pedigree. We, uh, they were all educated. All our wives were degreed. None of us were. All our first children were daughters. Those are our daughters over there. All our second children were sons. We drive the same cars. We live in the same houses. We do the same kind of work. And so show me your friends, and I will show you your future. Who are you surrounded by? Your friends also are a testimony of you, right? And so if somebody comes and accuses Sai of doing something, I can say, no, I I don't know what you're talking about because I know Sai. And I know that that is not what he can do or be. And so your friends are a testimony of who you are. So if you're hanging out with uh, certain gangsters, you know, you can only assume, right? So in wrapping up, there needs to be alignment in our friendships, in our relationships, in our marriages, in our business partnerships. That alignment means that there's an alignment between my vision and what's mine and what's yours. And we bring it together. Four things to think about as, we do, as, we, as you think about bringing alignment. Is it clear? Do we understand it? So when Tamsin and I talk about this, are we clear about this? My best friend, are we clear about this? The next one, is it relevant? I want this thing. Like I, I understand that I want this thing, right? Our third one is, is it, is it significant? Is it worth it? Because every relationship you will go into will require sacrifice. And are you willing to sacrifice for this thing that you're in that relationship with? And sacrifice could be time, money, could be a whole bunch of things. And finally, if you're going to bring alignment between your visions, is, is it believable? Can we achieve this thing together? And there's a person I've been speaking to a couple of weeks ago that was talking about in their marriage, the husband has this lofty idea. And for 15 years, it's been a lofty idea. 
and that is not achievable. And so can it be achievable? Because when it's achievable, you get that kind of buy-in around how you're going and where you're going. And so remember, it's not just about choosing the right partnerships that you're going into, but it's about how we bring and these challenges uh, together in terms of redefining what the friendship zone is. And so the friendship zone redefined is not one of demotion, but one of promotion in the house of God. Thanks, Simon. Amen. What a great word. Shall we stand? And uh, I want to thank Quentin for taking time to uh, prepare and wait on the Lord on this word. We know that relationships are challenged, particularly around the COVID season. Relationships have been challenged. Marriages have been challenged. Uh, next week, Lindy and I will be talking about um, marriages and friendships in marriages. Even when you're still single, it's good for you to hear that so that you can prepare yourself better to be all that God has called you to be. God has called you to be married. So we want to pray for relationships. We want to pray for friendships. Something that really was powerful in what Quentin shared is uh, redefining the term friend zone that we actually belong together. We are meant to be together, built together. We are taking that uh, statement from how the world is defined to saying in God's community, we don't use each other. In God's community, we build together. We want to move in the same direction together for what God has for us. Amen. So I'm going to ask Tony to pray for our relationships. I know that some relationships are strained right now. Said to say this, my wife and I, we're joining with a couple, two couples that are going through a divorce. Very painful stuff. But we want to pray that God will bring restoration. God will bring restoration. And even in your friendships, that God will bring restorations. We will also have the ministry team come uh, pray for people afterwards. But Tony, if you can pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you that in your word it says you have placed us in community for vision, for a purpose, Lord. Thank you for the community that we have here around us at Every Nation Rosebank. Lord, individually where we've been hurt sometimes by this community, maybe where this community hasn't quite met the expectations that we have, we pray that you'd bring healing to those relationships. We pray that you'd bring reconciliation to those relationships. We pray that your love in its truest sense that is unconditional would overcome in those areas of hurt. We thank you also, Lord, that this is your design, relationship. You've called us to this. You've called us even more as Christians to lead the way in this and that you can belong. We can then behave because we feel as we belong, Lord Jesus. You've called us to belong, behave, Lord Jesus so I just pray Lord for those right now those relationships that are strained whether it is marriages whether it is um, relationships between mother and father brothers and sisters Lord that your vision this vision of friendships would be the thing of relationships would be what is restored you give us this blueprint that would use again today 
to restore relationships, Lord. And where we need to probably take a step as individuals to humble ourselves, to take that first step, to go and say, I'm sorry. To go and say, please forgive me. To go and say, let's start again. Let's build this friendship. Let's build this relationship with God's design in mind. Help us be those people today who would reach out and humble ourselves to be redefining relationships the way you've defined them. We thank you. We thank you, Jesus. We bless your name.